Mr. Mike Selby, how are we, sir? Very good, Mr. Matthew Gordon. Looking forward to seeing you next week in Quebec. Yeah, very much so. We're going up to the the event of the North, or however they're positioning it, in Quebec City. Beautiful, beautiful city. Uh, you covered from uh, Washington, D.C. Any any other kind of like follow-up or news or fallout or good news from that? Would, hearing anything? No, I mean, I, I think, you know, again, being part of a short list of six companies uh, there with the uh, meeting you know the senior members of the administration was was uh, was great. So, um, you know, it's obvious that uh, we're on a list of yep. projects to be able to get invited uh, to that event. So, um, yeah, no, looking forward to continuing to go down that path. Um, not too shabby. Not too shabby. Yeah. There yeah. seem to be uh, battery conferences springing up left, right, and centre. I think there's one in, one in Toronto at the moment. Um, yeah, we've got people dialing in from. Um, but anyway, we're gonna we're gonna create our own little um, battery battery metals metals conference of two people, you and me. We're gonna talk nickel, um, right? Why don't we start over the usual thing? We're gonna say, but what was happening in the nickel space? We we were trying to work out whether we'd be going higher, lower. What's happening? Yeah. So so again, I'm. We still might do a test here, but you know, given that it looks like with the inflation data that's come out, um, and the Fed taking a bit of a pause on interest rates. You know, I think we're, you know, sort of close to the top of the interest rate cycle, which again, you know, higher U.S. interest rates mean higher U.S. dollar, which typically means lower commodity, puts pressure on U.S. dollar commodity prices. So, you know, nickel leapt out ahead of the rest of the pack uh, and popped 5% uh, midweek this week. Um, and so we're back up over the $22,000 a ton mark or $20, uh, $10 a pound mark, which um, you know, is 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 great. Again, this is all on the backdrop of a whole lot of noise about big nickel surpluses. But um, you know, we'll see uh, how much of of that actually materializes. You know, I, I think the other part too was, you know, there was there was some slugs of you know uh, Russian nickel that showed up in China last week. Again, not massive amounts, but inventories there were very very low. And so, you know, any amount should have taken some steam out of the market there. And again, it's not steamy at any, any point in time, but uh, you know, we saw premiums come off for some of the products, but not, you know, um, you know, I was, was curious to see whether we'd see a whole, you know, wholesale collapse, um, in, in some of the fairly substantial premiums, uh, that had emerged, but no, they, they dropped, but nothing that we you know would come anywhere close to a collapse, which is great. So, um, and then on, you know, the other things that we're continuing to track is this compression around LME prices drifting lower, uh, the, the main prices for NPI and, and sulfate sort of getting back to quote normal discounts. And again, saw another big reduction, uh, you know, drop by almost a third um, in terms of the discount that sulfate was trading at um, to, to finish nickel. Uh, and again, saw NPI discounts, you know, tighten up, a, tighten up a little bit. So, um, you know, the, China is definitely economically not, you know, not in any great shape, but, uh, you know, the kind of positive news we, we're expecting to see, uh, given lithium prices improving and, and starting to see a restocking in the battery cycle, you know, is definitely following through. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see sort of how that all plays out uh, as we move through some. And uh, they're, they're obviously, the, the you know, with the first slug of Russian nickel coming into China, we, we're, we're seeing the similar sorts of, um, you know, stories coming out with regards to uranium uh, and, and other metals and commodities too. What, what's that going to actually do in terms of one being able to kind of measure the movement of metals around the markets, um, and how's it going to affect 
pricing. We, we've always talked about you know bifurcated pricing because of you know, you know government's inv- involvement in terms of tax credits. We've talked about that with you. Um, incentives for uh, mining companies making money cheaper. But actual starting to see this whole Russia-China relationship take hold. Um, it, it, it must have a few people a bit nervous. Not quite sure what's going to happen. How that's going to play out? Oh, for sure. I mean, again, you know, the reason. Um, you know, that I was, uh, you know, part of six people who got to talk to four senior government U.S. administration people last week wasn't because of uh, I'm a charming uh, cocktail reception person, but it's, the you know, this underlying real con- security concern. Again, there was someone from the National Security Council there. There was somebody from the State Department who was there. You know, these this is very much viewed as a national security uh, issue. And so... Uh, uh, again, you know, having having Russia and China sort of line up um, with with certain commodities just underscores the need to be able to get countries that are potentially hostile to sort of west to Western interests, you know, out of our supply chain. So, um, you know, I, I think if if anything, it just that the tighter you know that their relationship becomes or you know seems to be becoming. Is just 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 helps underscore for those of us who are developing new metals projects outside of that axis. Um, you know, it, you know, is, is it going to be even more and more helpful for us in terms of you know being able to get done what we need to get done? Right. Okay. Well, like, we we yeah, I, I, we will continue to monitor that the geopolitics of, of, of that and how it affects um, EVs, um, etc. But we said we talk about companies, um, so. Let's start. Let's start with sort of high-level type stuff. United Tractors are in the news. I, I love the thought of United Tractors. Um, there, what, what can you tell us? There aren't enough large tractor companies these days. That's you know that's that's the, the bottom line. So uh, Nickel Industries, yeah, you know, who's a publicly traded ASX company. Uh, again, encourage people if you're serious about nickel, go through their uh, quarterly MDNA because it's effectively the only public view that we get in Ching, into Qingshan's operations. Uh, they own various stakes in projects that are operated on their behalf by Qingshan. Um, and so it's it's a great, great view in terms of what's happening in the Indonesian market. Um, so they uh, announced they, they raised $900 million Aussie, uh, selling at just under 20% interest to United Tractors, who's an Indonesian holding company. Um, and so... Uh, you know, for that there, there's a new pro- new nickel project um, that they're they're going to be built called Excelsior, um, and so the, you know they also suggested that there's going to be a follow-on investment of United Tractors directly into that project. Uh, not surprised to see a, a big Indonesian group come in. You know, if I was in nickel industry sh- shoes, you would want to make sure you know there's there's you know there's there's a bunch of families in Indonesia that control substantial amounts of wealth and industry and you want to have as many of them in your corner as possible just in case the you know the political winds uh turn against you uh again you can you know look at what's happened to freeport over time and and you know their economic interest in in grassberg eroded over time um you know it, it's good to make friends with people close to the top in indonesia and i you know i think this is a good transaction overall uh, for them and again given them you know with with nickel industries you know again balancing indonesia versus china 
uh, again, having a little more Indonesian strength on your bench uh, makes a lot of sense. Right. Okay. And that, that's um, that you're talking about the Excelsior, Excelsior Nickel Project, not to confuse with the Excelsior Mining, slightly troubled mining yes. project, um, which is after hunting copper. Um, okay. Um, Poseidon. We haven't yep. spoken about them the- for a while. Yeah, so there they um, are a past producer. Uh, they have one of the only mills um, in uh, Western Australia, and so this company that's got two two assets. One is a high grade mine, one of the highest grade mines, and I think we've highlighted in past some past episodes some pretty spectacular drill intersections for that smaller underground high grade operation. Uh, but they also have a larger bulk tonnage operation. Uh, they put out an updated resource for this of about twenty seven million tons. You know, at 0.7 um, for just under 200,000 tons of contained nickel. So, you know, again, not the multi-million tons of some of the big ultra matrix like us, FPX and Giga, but you know, again, you know, nice grade um, sitting next to a mill uh, that's not operating today. So, you know, uh, Poseidon, uh, you know, will be is, is moving ahead to restart uh, those operations. You know, Poseidon today's effectively, you know, have got two big shareholders, uh, uh, a U.S. private equity group, uh, and then. Uh, Andrew Force from Wailu very early on grabbed a chunk uh, of that that company as well. So, um, you know, the, the stock, I think, traded sideways for a while here. Um, again, given given the the fact that you don't have that takeover premium in there, um, you know, that's a bit tricky. But, you know, as they restart in today's with today's metal prices, this is something that should should be generating some more robust cash flow going forward. So if you if you want something that's going to give you some some nickel cash flow exposure, you know that this is one of the few assets out there with Western areas and Mincor both disappearing in the last six months. You know this this will be one of the few few options out there to you know to get some actual cash direct cash flow exposure. You know in, into a nickel asset. Yeah, it's 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 a goodie, good thing, good asset, etc. Been trading sideways literally for the last twelve months at four cents for for Aussie, which is pretty similar to um, uh, Canadian. Dollar as well, so yeah, um, I think that's probably one for the back of the drawer. Uh, I suspect, but um, good projects have a habit of rising to the top eventually. Um, Aero Copper, yeah. So in terms of you know the comment around direct exposure to nickel, you know it's it's unfortunate that probably is one of the more interesting nickel discoveries uh, is owned by a company that's a fairly large market, well, you know, uh, larger uh, you know um, uh, copper producer. Um, and so, uh, you know, th- they have, uh, some nice high grade copper operations in Brazil. Um, they've, they've made a, an interesting, uh, discoveries, um, uh, in, in the area of Brazil that they operate. Um, they released another set of drill results just recently. Um, and, um, they started the network. And so, you know, again, you know, the th- things look pretty interesting there. Some of it looks like your classic nickel where you have, some you know, sort of wider low grade intersections with some high grade uh, along the edges, and and so the question is is you know how big and thick some of that high grade turns out to be, but some pretty interesting intervals. You know, it's material that outcrops the surface, so you know this remains one of the more interesting discoveries that we've seen you know uh, in the last uh, two or three years, and it'll be interesting to see you know how that evolves forward. Again, you know there's there's a mining team <laughs> operators there, so you know if they're able you know and they will be putting out a resource here. In the near future, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see sort of how that project uh, comes together going forward. Right. Okay. Um, and we'll kind of put some of those grades um, in the notes below. Um, then we're we're heading over to Africa, I think. Um, yes. And the and the Kabang near well project near Kabanga, which is uh, Adavale resource. 
What yeah. Been so, doing? yeah. So it, again, it's good to see you know, exploration results coming from different parts of the world and, and to see the level of, of exploration activity increase. As we said many, many, many times, we need all the nickel, um, you know, uh, outside of China and Indonesia. Um, so it was great. Uh, they, you know, basically followed up on some historic drilling um, that indicated some massive sulfides. They hit some massive sulfides. Uh, you know, that that's always a, a good step. Um, you know, the key thing for investors here is it's 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 easy to twin a hole where you hit some high grade before rock doesn't tend if it hasn't moved for two billion years, it's not all of a sudden gonna move in the last twenty. So your chances of hitting the same stuff is generally pretty good. Um so you know the the key thing here is, you know, good start. You know, let's see whether they can step out um and and see if there's any other geophysical targets. I think the thing that might be interesting there, I haven't looked in this any detail yet, but you know, if it was 30-year-old geophysics, it was a 1990s hole. If they really haven't done uh, geophysics since that time frame, then there's the opportunity for them to you know, pick up some deep-seated targets. You know, they're they're you know in in a region where you know the Kabanga deposit is really one of the best uh, nickel nickel sulfide deposits uh, globally that hasn't been developed. It has sat for a long time because it's in a very challenging political location. Uh, you know, in Tanzania, close to the Congo, Rwanda, Burundi borders. Um, but, you know, in terms of geolo- geological prospectivity, you know, it, it's, it'll be good to see. So, again, one to keep an eye on and see if they're able to, you know, step out um, and actually hit some stuff there. So, um, and then the other part, um, you know, this is a nickel mining area that you don't hear very much about because there's really not much mining activity. And that is Scotland. Um, so. What? Scotland? Yes. yes. <laughs> so. Um, the same set of rocks that host the nickel deposits up in in fin- in Scandinavia um, through Finland, Sweden, Norway, those extend down through northern Scotland and all the way across the ocean uh, over into uh, Newfoundland and uh, and uh, the eastern United States. Um, and so, yeah, there are there was some nickel work done on nickel sulfide deposits in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, you know, we actually early on, you know, prior to, to, to getting Canada Nickel or around getting Canada Nickel going, looked at some of these targets. And yeah, they're, they're to be interesting to see. Uh, again, you know, geophysics has improved quite a bit from 50 years ago. Um, and so, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. There's a few companies that have picked up some properties in that area. Aberdeen Minerals is a, is a, is a private company. Uh, again, got some intervals north of a percent. So, uh, you know, the key thing there is that shows that it's able to constant, you know, there are geological stuff going on that we're able to to uh, improve the nickel grades um, that were there. Um, and again, they're in some, you know, again, not the 500 meters of, of you know, 0.3 percent nickel that we see at, at Crawford, but, you know, within some disseminated grades. So uh, early days, um, but some interesting, interesting intersections. And again, just something to keep an eye on. You know, again, once once the once we get out of the current cycle and, and uh, you know, we get into another exploration development cycle, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of these Scottish, you know, assets, you know, come to market, you know, over the next few years. So just just something to, you know, to keep an eye on and track to see if they uh, are able to come through uh, any breakthroughs. Again, there's not a huge number of places around the world where you find nickel, you know, and this is one of them. And, and given sort of the new focus on critical minerals, um, both in the United States and, and Europe. Um, you know, if they do find something, there's a, you know, there's a chance that you can actually get a, get a mine built in Europe, which, you know, five years ago would have been considerably more difficult. So, yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so that's um, that's Aberdeen Minerals private company for now. Um, let, let's kind of we'll keep tabs on them. But I want to come. I want to come back to uh, out of if I if I may, because yeah. um, and I've spoken to a lot of exploration companies in the, over the past few months in a market which has been a little bit difficult for for most. Um, and I've seen some good management teams with some good assets, cash constrained. I've seen some awful assets with some average management teams, cash constrained. They're in the same boat. Yeah, they've got the same valuations. They're being, you know, and they're being given the same amount of attention. I mean, not a lot. And I think that it's there's there's a kind of there's a kind of job that needs to be done. You know, and you, you talk about you know um, what Adavel are doing there in terms of you know just twinning holes, which is doesn't tell you much geologically, um, but it's a pretty safe bet if you want to put out a nice headline. So, I mean, I don't I don't blame management for doing that. I've spoken to management teams who just say, look, we just got to put out some drill results. We don't we know what we should be doing, and it's not, probably not that, but that's what the market's hopefully going to react to, and it hasn't. Um, so, how how do you kind of see things playing out for maybe it's not just that there's not a nickel specific thing, but it's a kind of junior exploration thing where how do people in moments like this um, survive? What should they be focused on? What is going to move the needle or what's going to help them when the momentum does return? Because if everyone's been you know, thrown into the same boat, it's kind of depressing. Oh, no, it's 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 never fun when you go through these the these cycles, you know, and unfortunately, over the last, you know, over the last 10 to 12 years, you know, we really haven't had a sustained up cycle. In the market, you know, we've had some brief ups with a lot of downs and sideways. The, the key focus at this point in time is, you know, is to basically maintain your share structure. You know, what you don't want to do is be is either choose to or be forced to, you know, raise capital, you know, at low prices, you know, and then ending up, you know, increasing your share count by 50% or 100% just because you want to keep pushing your favorite, you know, pet project uh, forward, you know the the smart teams basically kind of batten down the hatches. You know, realize that you know there's no sense, you know, doing drilling if if the market's not going to react to a great drill hole. Um, you know, it's it's good to just preserve capital um, and you know and and be ready for the upturn when it comes. Again, the other thing that good teams do, you know, when you have a little bit of capital and you have some, you know, have have you still have you know some some share value, you know, and or some liquidity. You know, is the ability to pick up properties in companies that have you know completely hit the wall, um, and you know be able to, to you know to, to grab those assets and consolidate them. You know, I mean, I guess with, you know with us with with Canada Nickel early on, you know, it was when we did those twenty seven deals to put together twenty pieces of property. It was it was because you know we we could have waited, you know, and maybe thought, oh, our share price will be a lot higher. Uh, which you know we were all of us were expecting you know we were going to be going into a an upturn cycle um but you know the reality is is you know if you can get the deals done at valuations before the market's paying attention to certain assets you know it's just it's just good to pick up assets cheaply whenever you can and so you know that's the thing to watch for is as those managements management who are going to be pretty smart about managing their share count and as well you know you know, taking the chance to pick up some even better stuff opportunistically. Right. Yeah. Because I, I was talking to a, um, a CEO 
better not say when or who, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. someone said, right, you know, hey, look, he was in, a, he was in the same position, right? Okay, so he's, he's, he's nobody's fault. He's a smart guy, but, you know, um, maybe not necessarily fit for purpose. And he's saying, well, you know, do you think, um, I think we could actually go and access some capital and pick up another um, asset from a company which is similar position to us. Do you think we should do that? And I'm like, no, because you've now got two shit companies, sorry, two slightly struggling companies, you know, sitting sitting in one vehicle. All you've done is, you know, du doubled uh, the, the capital needs to actually advance either project forward. Uh, you may have made some, you know, admin savings around GNA, but, you know, hardly. Um, the best thing that they could do if they felt that they could go to market, because they're kind of capital markets guys rather than geologists, which I think expression companies should be re should really be kind of headed up by a technical team, not not a banking team. And um, I said, if you're so confident with going out to market, I mean, just give me ten minutes of who he's who he knew in New York, Bay Street, and and London. I said, well, there's a lot of funds looking specifically to deploy capital into the space because they can see it's exciting, but they can't they can't deploy enough for it to be interesting for them. So go and raise a ton of money and go to, to a bunch of roll-ups, ideally good ones, or go and speak to some of this, a lot of M&A happening in the, in the big boy space. There'll be some spin outs from that, I'm sure, because it won't meet the kind of big boy criteria. But, you know, trying try, try to sort of fiddle around the edges of a sub $10 million company, it's like, I, I, no one's interested. Quite no, it's not, it, and, yeah, no, and that's the part is, is like, when you do do that, that that's a key point is you, you you want to use the opportunity if you can to trade up but mm. as you said just just multiplying by the same you know anything times zero is zero yeah. so right um so yeah you, you know you again there's opportunities where you can trade up you know in terms of asset quality and you know that's is is when it makes sense but yeah no just consolidating a bunch of things that are going to be zeros is 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 you know it can be pretty challenging so and because there is holding cost you know time. owning a piece of property isn't you know in some cases it can be pretty close to zero but in a lot of cases you know whether you have to you know continue to do work on the property or whether if, if you if it's privately held land you have to pay property taxes on it and 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 right it it comes with a holding cost that you then need to finance so yeah but it's, it's, it's i i like i i have uh, <laughs> believe, believe me having I mean, brought something recently myself this it's hard enough just doing the, the and mine's private it's hard enough just doing the daytime stuff of you know all, allocating capital to you know get stuff done on the ground operationally the whole concern over what the market's thinking today how the market's behaving today how it's valuing you today uh, and how much information you need to kind of feed that the various stakeholders in that space. It's it's difficult. I get it. And in, in a market like this, hugely kind of depressed and you know way way off the highs that some companies have seen, and very disconnected from metals prices. Um, it, 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 it's even it's even harder. So I have a lot of empathy, and I believe me for for CEOs of public companies at the moment, uh, and, and sympathy too. But they still have a job to do, and they're going to get judged on the share price over a period of time. And I think it's probably slightly unfair to judge companies right now because we've been heading towards a, a bottom. But the point is, how do you set yourself up for success for when you do, when the market does, momentum does come back, and there is a kind of upturn here? 
who are the who are the winners and who are the survivors? I mean, what what do you think companies? Well, you, you're in there yourself. You know, what should you be doing in moments like this, which may not get value today, but should get the value when you kind of come out the other side? Keep your share structure intact. Mm-hmm. You know, don't spend dollars on something that's not going to help either sustain your share price or move it higher. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, again, use the opportunity to pick up better better assets if you've got the opportunity. And 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 you know, the good people are doing that. Um, you know, so that what as you say, when the market comes back, they can go raise money first, you know, get start getting the new slow going in and up, you know, in a market that's moving higher, you know, that's the kind of stuff that's good going to get your share price going. So again, you know, there's no when you have properties, you know, these are the times where you should really dig in and, you know, say, okay, let's, you know, stuff that doesn't cost money, like let's take your existing staff and really understand where the best targets are on the property, you know, you know. You know, um, do that ex- extra extra homework that doesn't cost a lot of money, but can you know potentially add a lot of value if you're able to come up with some interesting targets that you maybe didn't have time for before because you were too busy drilling or sampling or whatever um, in terms of your different geological programs. And 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 sorry, and sorry, so he's just giving us a little insight into this, the, the, the world the world that you guys live in. But um, just then, in in terms of like mentioned some you know stakeholders, right? So there's lots of people who feel that they're an interest in your success uh, or whether they're now or, or in the near future because they're looking to, to see if they will step in and, and, and maybe take a piece of this is when, when it comes to um, who the likes of who you've got to talk to obviously we talked about that dinner that you were invited to you know with, with US government officials which obviously is very very good it's indicative you probably get some inside information about you know how they're thinking that's all kind of good but who are the important people now shaping the kind of future of the destiny of this market, this EV market? We're focused on EV. Obviously, nickel has a much bigger uh, market than that out there with, with stainless. Um, but who are the people you're interested in influencing or at least, you know, being a, making aware that Canada Nickel is is a viable project? So, so, so again, you know, there is, you know, we're in a once, you know, once in a generation window here where, the government is going to be deploying substantial amounts of capital. And so in some of that capital, that's effectively free, which is always the best kind of capital. So, you know, this is a point in time where it does make sense to make sure that within whatever government funding bodies are available, uh, you know, to make sure that you're, you know, you're on the list and as high up the list as possible, you know, for, for those um, various government funding opportunities. You know, number two is really the supply chain you know, that's the part where, you know, again, the, the deal that you saw with GM with Thacker Pass, um, and you, you're going to see, you know, much more of this in a place where the public markets aren't providing the capital that's, that's needed to build out the, the whole supply chain, you know, that the car makers, you know, have clearly got the message that they need to step up the, and, the, and the entire battery chain needs to step up if they want the raw materials that they're going to need to produce as many, you know, EVs as they want to produce in 2027, 2030, 2035. And so, uh, again, you know, in terms of, you know, where I'm spending my time, um, you know, that, that's, you know, that's a really big part of it. And then, you know, the, the third piece that's coming into, to, to, again, sort of world scale development stories, you know, are the Japanese trading houses, um, you know, that back in the 1990s and 2000s, you know, were important providers of capital, you know, where they took 10, 20, 30% stakes in projects, um, you know, they would, you know, buy into them at a late stage, you know, at a, at a, you know, and weren't, and they were okay to, you know, basically they didn't really look at the the market cap per se, but were really focused more on the project value. And so, 
it was an attractive source of capital for junior mining companies, uh, and then they would also provide you know uh, access to cheap, uh, you know, low cost, uh, you know, Japanese uh, financing and other Asian financing uh, that was available. So you know those three buckets of you know government supply chain, you know, Japanese trading houses, you know, they are back in the market after being away for ten or twelve years. And so uh, again, if you've got the, the right kind of project that's got the right kind of scale, you know, that's being managed with the right kind of ESG approach, you know, that then, you know, those doors are, are those doors are open to you. So again, it, you know, it's uh, to the extent that you can, you know, shape your portfolio or focus on those assets that, that, you know, that have that potential, you know, those, those are the doors to keep knocking on. And that's, you know, with Ken and Nicholas, we're spending a lot of our time. Mr. Selby, as usual, insightful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir.